Good morning, church. Please stand and turn to 1 Timothy 1 1. Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for holy and profane, I'm sorry, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Jesus Christ our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counteth me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly and unbelief, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Everyone turn to 1 Timothy, please, chapter 1. I'm going to start a new series in this really interesting book of 1 Timothy. And today's message is entitled, Living out love in hot water. By the way, it's just good to see you here today. I'm glad to see uh, Lily and Major there in the back. God bless you guys. Uh, Lily had a, a foot surgery and she had pins in her foot and she had a, she had an accident. Something fell on her foot and did damage and but uh, thank God she's healing. I'm so glad that you could be here today. And she got the pins and everything taken out uh, this week, Thursday, I believe. And just pray for her continued recovery. So good to see you guys. So living out love in hot water. You know what I mean by this expression, hot water, right? It's like when you're in trouble and where you're going to be criticized and we're going to have maybe some conflict. It's kind of like your family, your marriage, (laughs) living out love when you're in hot water. Sometimes you're in hot water in marriage. Sometimes you're in hot water in the church. As Timothy was in this church in Ephesus, it was a hot water situation. So whenever you're in hot water and you face this troublesome difficulty, a situation where you might be 
experience disgrace or criticism of some kind, you feel like you're, you know, you're in that hot water, that whole lot of trouble, and you're going to be criticized for what, whatever you do, it seems like. You're going to be criticized for it, and you just feel like you're in over your head. You're in over your head. So if you feel like you're in hot water today, if you feel like you're in over your head, let's pray. So, Lord, help us now today and give us your grace to continue and to live out love in even in difficult situations, knowing that you are with us. Lord, help us to truly access your love in our lives that we could live it out in trouble filled times in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, so as Paul writes here to Timothy, there's a severe situation. In the church of Ephesus. But what we have to remember in any situation that we're ever in is that Jesus Christ is a loving master and he is with us when we're born again and he will never leave us or forsake us. He's faithful to us and he is always strong on our behalf and he gives to us trouble, trouble in our lives in important tasks. If something is important, there's going to be trouble attached to it. So in this situation, in, the, in this passage, as we look in 1 Timothy, Timothy is in this church of Ephesus. Ephesus was like an urban center. Similar, it was like the New York City of, of Asia in Paul's day. And it was a difficult challenge. And so I say, even when you are engaged in a task that is of God... Like being in a church like this. It doesn't mean there's not going to be trouble. You're going to have difficulties. Maybe with other members. Maybe with me. Maybe with whatever's going on in your life. There's going to be trouble. But we have to stick to it. And we have to live out what? Live out love when we're in those hot water type situations. So, Paul is facing this severe situation in Ephesus. And so he writes to Timothy. And here's basically a summary statement of of this passage, and really of the book itself. Paul begins, 1 Timothy, and he introduces himself to Timothy, which you really don't have to do, because Timothy was like his son in the faith. But Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and Jesus Christ our hope. We have a Savior. There's one Savior, Jesus Christ. There's no other Savior for the world other than Jesus Christ. And we have hope. That means we have a strong confidence. And so Paul says, Timothy, I am Paul. And then he says to Timothy, Timothy, you're my own son in the faith, verse 2. And he puts a blessing of grace. That means God's help and strength. Mercy, that's God's love. Peace, that's the tranquility, uh, the inner sense of tranquility of soul. And it's through the God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I am Paul. You are Timothy. And then verse 3, he says, And as, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus. So here's the message. I'm Paul. You're Timothy. Stay right where you are. <laughs> abide there. Don't leave. Stay in the midst of that trouble-filled situation. And live out love. Verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity. So that's the living out love. Live out. Have charity. That's the goal of it all, is live out love. So that's the message. I am Paul. You are Timothy. Abide in Ephesus, even though there's trouble, and live out love. 
Apply that to your life. God is with you. We have His Word. You may not feel weak, but you have, you have to access the grace, the mercy, and peace to stay where you are and live out love for Jesus Christ. So Paul gives Timothy three encouragements to live out love in this hot water situation. Now, there were different excuses Timothy could have given. He could have said, but people are saying I'm too young. In one verse in Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. So some believe Paul writes that to Timothy because some people were saying, Timothy, you, have, you do not have the maturity to endure this trouble. You don't have what it takes. And then others think that perhaps Timothy was feeling physically ill and even had perhaps stomach problems. And he said, I'm not physically up to this task because in one of the verses, Paul said, take a little grape juice, uh, take a little wine in the King James language, for your stomach's sake. Now, don't take this message and say, the pastor said I can drink wine. That's not the message, okay? But for his stomach's sake, for he had an illness, for medicinal purposes, Paul tells. So, so perhaps... Timothy was not feeling physically strong for the task. But Paul still says, and verse 3 is interesting because he says, I already told you to stay there. Maybe they had verbal communication. But now he's writing again. He says, as I talked to you when we were together to stay there, now I'm writing to you, abide there in Ephesus. Stay there and live out love. And there's three reasons and three encouragements I'd like for us to look at. The first one is simply this. Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, this is your time to shine in the hot water. Paul is essentially saying to Timothy here and throughout the book, Timothy, you've been prepared for this moment. You're ready for the task. The task is not too big for you. God is going to strengthen you for it. You're ready for it. This is your time to shine. You see, Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. He could well have been Paul's best friend on planet Earth. That's the kind of relationship they had. Timothy was the most, and I think I can say that with that absolute the and not just a most, but the most trusted companion of Paul. He he wrote to the Philippians and he says, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state like Timothy. He was Paul's trusted companion. And as we just think for a moment, if we're just going to review a little bit about Timothy as we begin this message, that I believe shows us that the trouble he was in in Ephesus, it was his moment. The trouble, he was made for that trouble. And to work through it. And to love through it. So just a few things about Timothy. He had a godly mother and grandmother. We know that from 2 Timothy. But we know that his father was a Gentile. So he didn't have a perfect family. We don't know. Maybe his dad became a Christian. We really don't know whether his dad was a believer or not. Maybe it was just his mother and grandmother. But Paul says their faith, they taught you as a boy the Word of God. So Timothy did have spiritual training from his mother and his grandmother from his early days. Many people believe that Timothy was saved on Paul's first missionary journey when Paul traveled through his hometown of Lystra 
And remember, that's when Paul was stoned and dragged out of the city and left for dead. That would make an impression on a young man. Well, when Paul went back on his second missionary journey, and I've got the maps here, when Paul went back to Lystra, and that's where the star is over there, Lystra, and that's the area of Galatia. You know the New Testament book Galatians was written to that area of Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. But Timothy was from Lystra. When Paul went back there, Acts chapter 16, if you want to follow along quickly, I'm going to just try to breeze through this. Just a little background about Timothy. When Paul went on his second missionary journey, now Timothy by this time had been saved. Paul led him to the Lord in his first missionary journey. Now it's a couple years later. And Timothy has grown in the Lord and he has a good reputation. It says in Acts 16, verse 2, he was well reported of by the brethren that were there in Lystra. And so Timothy hooks up with Paul and he begins traveling with him out of Lystra and all the way across Asia and all the way to Troas here and then across the water. And he went into Macedonia with Paul, fulfilling the cry of the Macedonian vision. Well, when Paul... Then he left Philippi, and then he went to the next town, Berea, which is, he went to Philippi, and then he went over here to, uh, to Berea, over here, and I have a star there by Berea. Then Paul then went on to Athens, but he left Timothy in Berea. So he trusted Timothy to stay in Berea. Now, if you're taking notes, letter A would be, in Berea, while Paul went to Athens, he left Timothy there. He trusted Timothy to stay there without him in his, in his physical presence. Although he was with someone else, and that's Acts chapter 17, as Timothy is mentioned. You know, Timothy's mentioned like over 20 times in the New Testament, more than any, I believe, of the companions of Paul. Acts 17, 14, it says... Silas and Timotheus abode there, that is in Berea, still. And so Paul went on to Athens, and then we see, while Paul was in Athens, we read this in, we won't turn there, but we read this in Thessalonians. You know what Paul does? He sends Timothy back from Berea to Thessalonica, alone. And I thought, that's very interesting, because when Paul was in Thessalonica, you remember what happened to him? He was in the house of Stephen, and literally, they invaded the house, a house invasion, and they kicked Paul out of Thessalonica. And so now Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to go back to Thessalonica alone. It was a hostile, hot water situation, you see. But Timothy went there, and he went back to Thessalonica. And then from there, after that, if you go to Acts chapter 18, Timothy went from there, and he hooked up with Paul. When Paul left Athens, then he went to Corinth. In Acts chapter 18, if you look at verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, and they met Paul there in Corinth. And so we can see the, the travels of Timothy beside Paul. And he continued with Paul on his second missionary journey. And then if you look in Acts chapter 19, if you just stick with me on this, in Acts chapter 19, verse 22, Paul was in Ephesus, and Timothy was there also with Paul in, in Ephesus. 
And Ephesus now is across the water again, across the Aegean Sea. And now we're back in Asia. And so Timothy has experience in Ephesus. It's not like he had never been there before. He was there for the start of the church. Because Acts chapter 19 tells us how Paul started the church in in Ephesus. And he was there for three years. And all Asia heard the Word of God. And and Timothy saw great miracles from the hand of the Lord. Remember the miracles that, that... happened there. I, my favorite, one of my favorite miracles in the New Testament is Paul took his dirty handkerchiefs that he used, you know, to clean his brow and, you know, had his sweat and dirt on him, you know, and those dirty handkerchiefs that he used when he was making tents and he sent them out to people. And when they touched those dirty handkerchiefs, they were healed. Woo! I never thought dirty clothes could bring healing, but Paul's, Paul's dirty handkerchiefs did. Amazing. Timothy saw great miracles of the Lord. So, and then letter D is then, while Paul was now in Ephesus, you know what he does? You know what he does? Letter D is, he sends Timothy back to Corinth. And we won't look up the verses, but I believe I have them. In your notes, you can look them up if you like, but in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17, and also 1 Corinthians 16, it indicates when Paul was in Ephesus, that's when he wrote to the Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians, and he sent Timothy back to Corinth. So Timothy went back across the sea while Paul was in Ephesus. And not only that, but if you're still with me, letter E, he sends Timothy then... Back to Macedonia. Now, maybe he stayed in Corinth and went, just went to Macedonia. I don't know. Maybe he went back. But look what it says. Acts 19, verse 22. He sa- it says, So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a season. So Paul, again, stayed in Ephesus and sent Timothy back into Macedonia. Again, that's, those are cities where Paul had experienced jail, beatings, getting run out of the city, a lot of hostility from the Jewish people of that day, a lot of persecution. So Timothy saw miracles. Timothy was involved in church planning. Timothy was involved in these great cities of his day. And then we see, let me just... Have you, have you go to this book. Go, go to the book of Philippians. Go to Philippians. And what does verse 1 say? We might just read that verse and, and miss something here. But what does it say in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1? Who, who are the authors of that book? Now, we know Paul's the author, but whose name does he attach to the book of Philippians? Timothy. It says, Paul and Timothy, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, the servants of Jesus Christ. And he puts Timothy on the same level as, he, as, as himself. And now, look, go to the book of Colossians, which is just one book ahead. And here it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and who? Timothy. And he's writing to the Colossians. Now go to the book of Philemon. Go to the book of Philemon. So three books here have the names of Paul along with Timothy writing to the church 
in Colossae to the church of Philippi and to the individual friend, to the friend Philemon. And here he says in verse 1 of Philemon, Paul a what? A prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother. So in all three of these epistles, what do we call those epistles? Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. What do we call those epistles? We call them prison epistles. You know why? Where was Paul? He was in prison. Where was Paul a prisoner? In Rome. Who was with him? Timothy. He was willing to stand by Paul when he was in prison. Timothy could stand and stay in the hot water. He could endure hostile situations. He endured urban ministry. He, he did not go back from retreat from Paul when he was in prison. He was faithful as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And so now we come to this time in his life. And he's with Paul in his imprisonment. That's letter G. And now Paul wants him to stay and to stand in Ephesus. That's letter H, in Ephesus. If you miss any of those blanks, talk to me later. It was now 62 or 63 A.D. So at this point, when Paul writes Timothy, Timothy has been saved for probably 13, 14, 15 years maybe. He's been an associate of Paul for more than 10 years, probably about 12 years. He served alone. He served under threat of persecution. He served in major cities. These are the major cities of their day. Rome and Corinth and Thessalonica, Philippi, the great cities of Macedonia and Greece, and Ephesus, which was the key city of, of Asia Minor. That's modern-day Turkey. And so Timothy had been faithful. And so with all that under his belt, with that is his experience, Paul's saying, Timothy, this is your time to shine. You're prepared for this moment to stay in Ephesus. Don't jump ship. So I say to you, whatever your situation is, find the grace, find the mercy, find the peace of Jesus Christ and stay in the midst of trouble because you're going to jump out of hot water and you're going to jump out of the fire into the... Sorry for my cliches, but you're gonna, what's the cliche? You jump out of the fire into the frying pan. Sometimes it gets worse. Out of the frying pan into the fire. Did I get that backwards? Okay. My dyslexia is working there. Oh, yeah, you jump out of the frying pan into the fire. Some, I guess it could go either way, but uh, no. But stay. And ask God to help you shine for Him in your trouble right now. You know, a human reaction when you get into trouble, and I'm talking about trouble in a local church, because that's the immediate context of what we're talking about. You don't think that church you're going to have trouble in. (laughs) But we're going to talk about a severe trouble that was in the church of Ephesus. It wasn't an easy situation. And Timothy actually had to have the mindset of a, of, a, of a soldier while he was there. And that's one of the metaphors Paul constantly uses with Timothy. Be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You are in a spiritual battle. And so we have to look at life that way. Maybe it's your job. You're in the midst of trouble. Maybe it's your home. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's, it's in certain relationships right here in the, in, the, in the local church. But we have to say, Lord, 
This is my time to shine. I'm pre- I've been prepared by you for this time. God didn't just give you this trouble out of the blue. You're ready for it. The second thing I want to see from our text is Paul writes to Timothy, and, and this is where we go to verse 3, and says, I need you to stay. I need you to stay in this hot water situation. In verse 3, look what he says. He says, Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia. So that's a previous conversation that I had that I mentioned. And many people believe that Timothy did want to get out of Ephesus. And he, Paul, many people believe when Paul was writing this book of Timothy, that Paul was actually somewhere in Spain, which is off the map, further west than Rome, and that Timothy was maybe allured by that and wanted to join Paul on his missionary journey if Paul had made it as far as Spain. We're not sure about that, but that's what some people do believe. But Paul says, no, I don't want you to come and minister with me side by side. I need you to stay and abide in Ephesus. So look what is the reason why. Paul tells Timothy in verse 3, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Now, this doesn't sound like a serious issue for us, but it was for Paul. So, so serious. How does Paul often start his epistles? He often starts with, well, he always starts with his name, except to Hebrews 1, but Paul, and then he, to, the, to whoever he's writing. But then he always says, grace and peace to you, and he says, I thank God for you. He says other things. He, 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 he doesn't use any of those pleasantries with Timothy here. He launches right into the serious situation. I need you to stay there because there's false doctrines that are infiltrating the church And I am charging you. Paul is charging him like a a, a commander in an army. And he's saying, Timothy, I want you as my general, under orders from me, to tell those in Ephesus not to teach these false doctrines. That they do not teach, he says in verse 3. Isn't that what he says? That you might as charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. And then he says, neither give heed. And that expression, neither give heed, could well have the the nuance of don't be addicted to these false teachings. Tell them not to addict themselves and devote themselves to these false teachings and these false doctrines. And then Paul explains them a little bit. So what were these false doctrines? Three things real quick. And many people call it the Ephesian heresy that had invaded the church, and Timothy needed to confront. And I put three things here in your notes. Number one is the allegorical speculations of these false doctrines. He says that charge them that they teach no other doctrine. No other doctrine other than what, by the way? Verse 11. No other doctrine other than what? What does verse 11 say? Other than what? The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to teach. 
Focus on the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We know this historically is absolute fact and true, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and then was taken and crucified, and then was buried and rose again on the third day bodily from the grave. Don't give heed to these other doctrines, these allegorical speculations, and Paul describes them as fables and endless genealogies. You know, endless is the idea of like interminable. It's like, when is this going to end? Fables, myths, silly legends. And it seems these legends were somehow based on Jewish genealogies. You know, you know what a genealogy is? It's the tracing of one's descent, right? A genealogy. And so what it seems that these false teachers were doing is they were manufacturing unrestrained myths and legends based on minor Old Testament characters. They would go to these Old Testament genealogies. Now, one of the reasons why I never read the Bible as a young person growing up, (laughs) I tried to start reading the Bible one time and I came to Genesis 5 and I hit a genealogy. I was like, oh. And then another time I came to the Bible, I was like, oh, I hit the genealogy. I'm like, this is boring. You know, I don't want to read a bunch of names, you know. I never, I didn't understand why they were there, but there are genealogies in the Old Testament. And so what this group was doing was taking these genealogies and these different names, and they were developing, oh, you know what they were developing? The, oh, we know the hidden meaning. There's a hidden, deeper meaning in these genealogies. And you won't understand it until you come and let me explain it to you. And, but it was fable. It wasn't true. They were legends. They were mythical, mystis, mystical stories. And so they were allegorical speculations. And so these teachers of Ephesus, rather than teaching the sure gospel of Jesus Christ... We're tickling the ears with these mystical stories. Oh, I got a special revelation. Oh, you won't read it in the Bible. You have to come and hear it from me. You know, there's even a book that was released. I'm not exactly sure when it was released, but it's called The Bible Code. I don't know if you've heard of that. But you don't want to necessarily read it. I'm not saying that you should read it. But it's an example. Of, they, they say that, you, that they went through Old Testament and they got like the hidden meaning of the Old Testament. And they said that the election of Bill Clinton was prophesied in the Old Testament. And the, uh, the assassination of JFK was prophesied in the Old Testament. And things like this. So, you, oh, if you go into the deep, deep meaning, hidden meaning, you know. We don't need the Bible, we don't interpret that way. We interpret the Bible grammatically, historically, and when the Bible makes clear sense, we seek no other sense, and we compare Scripture with Scripture, and we apply the Bible to our daily life. What does it mean? What did it mean to those to whom it was written? And then how can I now apply it to myself? I believe that's how we deal with the Bible. But this teaching, it was fruitless and useless. 
It was vain jangling and babbling. That's how Paul describes it throughout the book of 1 Timothy. Because really what he introduces right here in Timothy, throughout this book, he talks about this these false teachings, this allegorical speculation that was useless and fruitless, jangling and babbling. For example, look at verse 6. He says, in 1 Timothy 1.6, he says, from which some having swerved have turned aside to what? Vain jangling. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. What does he say here? That, and don't be surprised by the vain jangling going on in the church. 1 Timothy 4.1 he says, in, in the latter days, some shall depart from the faith and give heed to what? Seducing spirits. So who, there were false spirits telling these teachers, these allegorical speculations, not, not the Holy Spirit, demons. Because he says at the end of verse 1 of chapter 4, doctrines of, de- doctrines of demons were being taught in the church of Ephesus. So it was a serious situation going on. Fruitless, useless, downplaying the doctrine and truth of the glorious gospel of Christ, overplaying strange worldly speculations. The second thing about this heresy is it led to immoral actions. It led to immoral actions. And the point here is that what a church believes will shape how a church ministers. What you believe will affect how you live. Because really, everything we do is a result of everything we believe, of what we really believe. And so, they had wrong beliefs, and those wrong beliefs led to what? Wrong behavior, sinful behavior, immoral behavior. Wrong beliefs lead to bad behavior, is the point. Immoral actions... That's in verse number 3. If you look in 1 Timothy chapter 1, it says, Charge them that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions. You see, all these speculations, by the way, let me just say a word on that. They didn't provide answers. They only resulted in what? More questions. Now, it's not wrong to have a question. And do we have all the answers? No. People ask me questions or they'll ask you questions. It's not that we have all the answers. But what he's saying here is that this teaching generated nothing but questions. Because it wasn't based on historical fact and it wasn't based on truth. You see, I will say this as a believer in Jesus Christ and one who believes the Bible. We do have the answer. The answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is His Gospel. The answer is He will be with you through the trouble. Be faithful to Him. The answer is Jesus saves. The answer is Jesus gives eternal life. He forgives us of our sins. He gives us the Holy Spirit. We we have rock-solid doctrinal truth that we can teach with great assurance that's based on the Word of God and not my opinions. But these doctrines were just filled with allegorization of of the Bible, of personal petty opinions, and now it was leading to immoral actions because verse 4 says, 
in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, it says it led to questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So the point of the church should be that you should be edified, you should be built up, you should be built up to live what kind of life? A godly life. That's why God's given us the Bible. So that we could be strengthened, edified, to be good stewards of what God has given to us. So that would be a good steward of my time, a good steward of my money, a good, a good steward of, of who I am, and live to bring glory to God, to live a godly life. So he says, godly edifying, which is in faith, so that we would live by faith a godly life. And, you know, when I was preparing for this message, there's two words in the book of 1 Timothy that appear more times in this book than any other book of the New Testament. You know what they are? Doctrine and godliness. Teaching that leads leads us to live godly lives. These two words appear many times in godliness, uh, in, in, in Timothy. Doctrine and godliness. Let me just show you one of them. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3, if you could turn there. And again, Paul is talking about these proud teachers as he even gets to the end of the book. By the way, these are the ones who loved money. <laughs> They were doing what they were doing for financial gain. We, many people know that verse. The love of money is the root of all. Guess who loved money? These false teachers. Be careful who you give your money to, by the way. That's why in a local church there's accountability of your funds in a church such as ours. But 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, he says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you see what we've been talking about, they were not consenting to that sound doctrine in the words of Christ. He says, and, and, and to the doctrine, they were consenting not to the doctrine which is according to godliness, which results in godliness. But he says, on the other hand, he is proud, knowing nothing, doting about questions, strife of words, whereof becometh envy and, and Strife and railings and surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So three times in that passage he emphasizes that word godliness. Because these false teachers, their teaching did not lead to godliness. Beloved, we are called in Jesus Christ to live holy, godly lives. That means we're honest, we don't lie, we don't steal, we don't commit fornication. We shouldn't. We don't commit adultery. No, Christians, that should not be named amongst Christians. We honor our parents. We, we're not a covetous people. Paul writes later in one of these pastoral epistles as well to Titus. He says that the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Because those things destroy the family. They destroy our personal lives. Worldly lusts and ungodliness. But we are called to live righteously and godly in this present world looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. The third thing about these false teachers, not only was their 
allegorical speculation leading to immoral actions, but they made an arrogant affirmation through it all. And it says this in verse 7. It says, desiring to be teachers, literally doctors of the law, they considered themselves the doctors of their day, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. (laughs) So they didn't really know what they were talking about, but guess what? They said, this is the way it is. (laughs) They affirmed with arrogance these allegorical speculations based on myths and genealogies and fables. By the way, aren't you glad that in Jesus Christ we don't preach a myth? We don't preach a fable in Jesus Christ. In fact, Peter uses this same word fable or myth in Second Peter when he says, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says, I have no other motive but to tell you the truth of Jesus Christ. And this is not a myth. That Jesus Christ died on the cross is not a fable. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God who, who, who was the creator of the world, who was born of a virgin, and we celebrate this in Christmas. This is not a myth, amen? amen. That He rose again bodily from the grave. This is not a man-made-up story. It's rooted in history. And there's enough witnesses to prove it in any court of law. The Bible's the Word of God, beloved. And we need to hold to it. And these people made arrogant affirmations and their arrogance was coupled with ignorance. And that's the worst kind of affirmation for one to make. With an air of superiority, they affirmed what they did not know. And notice what their teaching resulted in. Look at verse 6. It says, from which some having swerved have turned aside. People were swerving from the truth of the the Bible. They were turned aside by this vain jangling. And it it was kind of like, you know know what? They didn't have TV back in that day. But they 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 were still human beings like us. And they were still infatuated by... Interesting stories. Who doesn't like a story, right? And Paul even speaks to them in chapter 4. He he says that they've been turned aside to old wives' fables. It sounds like almost like a soap opera. (laughs) An old wives' fables, you know. Just something to attract you, a story. And they were attracted by these stories and these fables. And they were put across with an air of superiority. But what did it do to the faith? Of the believers. What did it do to their faith? Look what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. Paul tells to Timothy, actually, let me go up to verse 18. He says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. The charge to stay in Ephesus. He's really going back to this charge we're talking about. To stay at Ephesus, this charge I commit unto you, Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee. In other words, you are ready to shine and ready to stay in that trouble right now. And then he says, uh, the, uh, and then he says that thou mightest by them war a good warfare. You're in a battle as a soldier, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. So this false teaching was causing people to make shipwreck. So what's the application here? We're talking, we're talking here, you know, about some 
if you will, it was like a, it was a religion that kind of bubbled up right within the culture of Ephesus. And it, you know what it was? It was a mixture of Old Testament Judaism. I'm sure they had to sprinkle in Jesus Christ because this is the church. They had to make it sound Christian. But they added all kinds of these myths and fables and legends based on genealogies and they would devise allegorical stories. Okay, that's what we've said. But this was like a local cultural religion. Now, how do we apply this to ourselves? Here's how I apply it to our situation right now in New York City in 2022 is that every culture is bound to grab a little bit of that religion and a little bit of that religion and synthesize them together and a little bit of that philosophy and put it in there and add, put a little Christianity in there, put a little Islam in there, put a little of astrology in there, put a little worldliness in there and mix it up together and you get American religion. Do you know what's going on in our culture today? There's a religion that's coming into the church, just like there was a false religion coming into the church of Ephesus. The, the, there's a religion in our... They, you know, they teach religion in schools. Do you know that? Oh, no, no, they don't teach... Oh, yeah, they, there's a religion. They kicked out God, the God of the Bible. They're going to teach something in here. They, because a religion has an origin of how we got here. So what's the religion of secular humanism say? We got here by evolution. So they have an origin. And then a religion teaches how everything's going to end. The Bible teaches how things are going to end. The religion of secular humanism says everything's going to end through climate change. So they have... We've been told by the false prophets who we elect into office, we shouldn't elect these kinds of people, by the way, that the world's going to end basically in 12 years because of climate change. So they have an origin, they have an end, and then they have a lifestyle, they have a morality. Look at the morality of this religion that's coming into our schools, teaching, and I've talked too much about it probably, so I don't want to go over it again and again. But you know, you know the truth based on the Bible. I mean, the Bible's clear, right? That God created us male and female. And you don't have a choice about that. <laughs> and if you're a man, you're a he, and you can't get pregnant if you're a man, okay? So, but that's not the religion of our culture. So, this is what's, what the devil wants to bring into the church of Jesus Christ. So we're fighting a religion, a false religion, in our, in our culture and in our world. And we need to keep pure with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we need to stay and we need to fight for truth in our church. Do you know why Christians need to be in church today? Because we've got to pass on the truth to the next generation. If we don't pass on the truth to the next generation, we're miserable failures. And there's only really one way, or one of the key ways, I shouldn't say the only way, but one of the key ways we do that is by being faithful members of Bible-believing churches that stand on the truth and won't compromise that truth, but hold to that truth in love. And then pass it on to the next generation. And that's why we're here. We're here to get the gospel to the world, to support missionaries now. But we want to have something to pass on to our children. Amen? Amen. Okay. Oh, let me, let me stop right here. I didn't finish my sermon, but I see the time. But we need to live out love. Let me just say this as I, as I close. The, the point is, we have to survive in the hot water. And... I'll give you the blanks if you want them. Here they are. 
here's how to survive in the hot water. And maybe we'll focus on this next week. I guess it's a whole sermon in itself. Because God wants us to live out love. And that love is we need a heart cleansed from sin. We need a conscience cleansed from guilt. And we need a faith cleansed from hypocrisy. And let's talk about them next week. But beloved, let us live out love in Jesus Christ. And let us not be angry about anything because really, as I just said, what's going, what went on in Ephesus, it's going on here. It's going to go on in every culture at any time. We have to stand on the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're saved, live like you're saved. If you're not saved, come to Jesus and know that you're born again and know you're on your way to heaven. Let's stand together as we pray. <coughs> And I'm going to ask our men to prepare for our Lord's Supper. So now, Lord, please work and be glorified. Thank you for this letter of 1 Timothy, for putting it on Paul's heart to write to this young man in the faith, probably in his mid-30s, who was in, in, in a world of trouble. And Paul said, stay in that trouble. So, Lord, help us. We're in this world of trouble, and we're sinners. And Paul even said, I'm a chief of sinner, but, Lord, help us to be good soldiers through Jesus. And we thank you for your grace. So thank God for his grace. That means his help on your behalf. Say, thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank God for his mercy. Say, Lord, thank you for your love and your tender-hearted compassion for me, your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you for your peace, Lord God. Jesus, you told us my peace I give to you. Lord, we take your peace. And we thank you for your peace that passes all of our ability to to understand what's going on. We can still have your peace. So, Lord, we look to you. And we thank you for the glorious gospel that you've given to us to proclaim in our city. And how our city needs the gospel. It's our only hope of rescue from this world of sin. It's our only hope of forgiveness. It's our only hope of life. Because the Savior of the world, you came to this old world, Lord Jesus, to die for us. And we thank you for that. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And who would just say, Pastor Matt, I'm in some hot water right now. But I want to live out love for the glory of Jesus Christ. Can I see your hand? Just put it up and hold it there and pray as you put your hand up. I'm in some troubles. But God is good and gracious and merciful. And He'll give me peace through it. And I'll trust Him. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Is there anyone who'd say, Pastor Matt, I'm not sure I'm saved. But I need Jesus Christ to save me. And take me to heaven when I die. I need to know that for sure. Can you pray for me, Pastor? Is there anyone like that? Can I see your hand? So now, Lord, please work. And thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.